Welcome back to the Power of Politics podcast with myself, Christopher Egan and Tom Miller. Unfortunately, Francisco can't be here today as he's away, but we do have two guests in Karis McIntyre and Jamie Briggs, who's uh, it's his first time on the show today. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing the age-old um, topic, it seems, uh, capitalism versus socialism. Uh, and of course, our resident capitalist, Tom here, is going to um, start us off with some arguments for capitalism. Yeah, so just a, a general sort of debrief on capitalism before we start and how maybe it's misunderstood in its current form, because I'd argue it's transitioning to more like corporatism, corporate sort of corporatism. I think that's the correct word for it. And how really capitalism, we have never seen true capitalism. And I probably wouldn't advocate for true capitalism. I would advocate for state intervention in part. But I think the general consensus around capitalists, like myself, we probably do support capitalism, but say maybe it needs some sort of reform, is that, yes, it's not ideal, but it is probably the loss-minimising strategy to run the economy, in that if you take an alternative such as socialism, I, I would probably see that, like, that would cause more harm than good. Yes, capitalism isn't ideal. You have inequalities, um, which we can argue about inequalities later on, whether or not they're good, they're good or bad thing. And yes, it's not ideal capitalism. And you have, um, you know, you have in part currently, we have monopolies, which you could argue um, misallocate resources and so forth. We can go into the details later on. But I'd argue it's the, it's the it's sort of loss minimizing strategy, in my opinion, in that, yes, it's not ideal, but it's probably the, best way to do things it's the less worst way to do things if that makes sense i probably didn't explain that ideally and i'll get onto it later uh, but to me the thing uh, capitalism the single underlying thing which is why it's probably the greatest economic system which we can use is two things first of all profit incentives um i personally take the standpoint that humans aren't inherently good natured i think humans are inherently selfish and i think that um fundamentally if you look at every other sort of biological creature in the universe they sort of sort of feed themselves they are selfish they are self-serving and i believe humans are the same i believe they are self-serving creatures um and with regard to that i believe if you had sort of a state-run economy with socialism and other forms where you take away profit um where you take away that profit incentive i think there would be no incentive to work in itself i think that humans are self-serving um so i don't think you can have humans being poorly natured or not human nature being self-serving and capitalism i think they go hand in hand in that you can optimize that self-serving nature to create products to create incentives that makes sense i'm sure Karis may take an opposing view later on but we'll see that so some interesting points there um Karis, would you like to fire back at tom um, I thought it was interesting that you said that it was the best economic system because in a way I kind of agree with you. I think it's good for the economy, but is the economy what we should be putting forward? Is that what we should be focusing on, I guess, as a society? Um, and do you think that actually, I mean, I'm not going to say that the economy isn't like, oh, I'm trying to work this correctly. Um, so do you think that capitalism should be Le like less capitalist because that's kind of what I was getting from your from what you were saying you're like yeah it's not really that great but you know it's kind of the best I don't know I don't know how to okay yeah oh sorry I'll clarify a few of those points then so first of all I would say the economy is single-handedly the most important thing um probably globally because I think within the economy you have jobs 
and if people don't have jobs if people can't um you know get employment to like make their wage then currently under the current system they wouldn't be able to afford to eat and so forth so i would say the economy is probably the single most important thing i think a problem currently um i think a, a problem currently with capitalism you raised one problem is that i don't think it takes account for the environment i don't think it's held responsible a lot of companies uh, a lot of negative externalities and i do think that's another issue probably not as important as the economy but another issue which capitalism needs to solve by making these big companies sort of take take accountability for their actions but you mentioned how sort of what would i do because you said i was like a bit anti-capitalist in my original statement so i'll try and clarify what i mean by that and what i mean is that in pure capitalism it should be down to the consumer to change to change shifts so i'll give you an example of what i mean there a lot of people have been complaining about amazon and sort of the way in which they treat their employees and how how can you have a company which is making billions of dollars of sort of surplus super normal natural economic profit but at the same time, treat their employees like that. And I'd say, yeah, I agree. If you think that's wrong, stop buying from Amazon. I'd call for a consumer shift, greater consumer information, be able to solve economic problems. So sort of let capitalism in its pure form, sort of in its pure form, fix itself, if that makes sense, through these sort of consumer shifts. But I wouldn't call for uncontrolled capitalism because I do think the state has a role in part. And I probably do support the, a nationalised health service such as we have in the UK, or majority of which should be nationalised. Wouldn't wouldn't you say in the case of Amazon that contradicts somewhat what you said about natural human behaviour, in that if natural human behaviour is inherently selfish, then realistically you are not going to be uh, worried per se about the um, the welfare of Amazon employees because that welfare loss comes at um, comes at the expense of you know higher prices. So you're gaining hugely from this um, system, but uh, you're not going to be in a position that you want to change that because you're inherently selfish, as you put it. Yeah. So first of all, I think it's important to I first of all like a very good question there because I can see that sort of opposing argument. Um, I think first of all, it's very important to know this is all sort of theoretical in that, yes, you can have a human which is self-serving. Um, and I'm going to use the word self-serving, not selfish, because I think there's a very different, there's a difference there. To be selfish is to sort of put your your needs first and foremost amongst others. To be self-serving is to put what you'd like to see. So you can be self-serving and still donate to charity. You're self-serving because you're fulfilling your own service. You're fulfilling what makes you happy, what you what you enjoy doing. But I do see your point there. But I would say, you know, there's a possibility to be selfish in that, yes, I'm probably going to put first and foremost my, I'm going to put first and foremost driven my, by my profit, by my interest. But you can still sort of take take accountability for the externalities around you. And yes, you can be self-serving in that, in that you, I'm going to be driven by my interest, like I say. But say you offered an alternative to Amazon, which offered roughly similar prices and yes they probably take the cut from the profit or roughly some of the prices as a consumer you can make that shift i think we have seen that shift in part already but i do see your point there but i think there's a difference between selfish and self-serving if that makes sense yeah i well i i would still call them both selfish but i understand the um okay. the idea that e- e- no even i understand the point that even when you are serving your own interest you can you know if you if you are in that position that you're the consumer and you shift from amazon um, you would feel better about yourself um, from yeah, doing yeah. so, and then you're so- still serving your own interest. But I, I would say that it's still essentially selfish, but 
selfish without the negative connotations per se. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would also say, I think there's a bit of a flaw in your argument for Amazon. Um, I'm going to use like the fast fashion industry as an example. Um, it's quite hard to tell people who might not be as wealthy as others, like you need to shop at places which are going to benefit, like sustainable places or places that treat their workers better when the cheaper alternatives are things that are much more affordable. And like some people can't afford to pay the price for you know, uh, ethical, ethical goods. So I think, and also that's driven by capitalism, right? The wealth inequalities. So I think to tell like, cons- like some consumers that actually you need to be shopping more ethically, more sustainably is actually like not fair. Um, yeah. I wonder even in the Amazon example, you can consider the idea that uh tommy mentioned if there was an alternative that um you know they're more ethical and they treat their workers better or whatever and if they're offering roughly similar prices i suspect they wouldn't be offering roughly similar prices they would be offering higher prices because they are um you know spending more on uh on their um staff etc so i think yeah going on from what karis is saying perhaps then it wouldn't be about consumers making the shifts, but you would require some form of state intervention to have um, sort of regulation on workers rather than that being forced on the consumer to make that decision. And also bearing in mind, a lot of consumers, you know, they, they don't know about um, all of it, the sort of ethical issues behind um, production of certain things. And so it seems that actually there's quite a lot of pressure put on the consumer rather than, um, on, say, the government, would you say that in that case there would be a greater demand for some form of regulation from the government? Hang on, hang um, on a second there, because that's, there is already regulation in terms of the labour sector. And in, in Britain, for example, we have strict labour laws, but it's Amazon's legal loopholing and manoeuvring out positions into, into contractors and so on and so forth that it becomes difficult to to extend the legislation because once you start making broad brush strokes you affect the small businesses as well so how do you then justify greater legislation when it's not you can't target laws against amazon because it's i think that would be considered discriminatory but surely there's another way that maybe involves antitrust legislation that forces amazon to become competitive with itself well, yeah, sorry, Chris, on that point, I think you raised a really good point. And I think what I would probably call for would be maybe the government takes a role of an informative role in that it could provide more like informative information to the consumers. I think um, Jamie mentioned how a lot of pressure is on the consumer and maybe they don't have all the information available to them to make like the rational decision there. So I think the government could have more like an informative role in the providing sort of if they take look at a list of companies they say and they can monitor sort of their carbon emittance um their working conditions and so forth and provide that information to the consumer and if the consumer wants to act on that information that's up to them how would you into that surely that falls into a trap that Karis kind of mentioned where you don't really get that choice 
What do you mean? Oh, well, yes, uh, yeah, and Harris raises the flaw of capitalism, and I agree with that. There are many flaws to capitalism. I'd, like I said at the start, I'm not, I, I don't think it's a perfect system. I just think, like, what other alternative do we have which would actually be better, in my opinion? I don't think there is one. To Amazon? Well, no, we don't have... No, I'm not talking about Amazon. I'm just talking about capitalism as a, capitalism as a whole. Well, I don't think anyone's advocating for capitalism extreme, but greater government intervention with companies, especially like Amazon, that have become monoliths and have become tech giants, surely that's the way to go. If you, you know, look well, at I'd argue, Google... I'd argue not, because if you watch it, you could say the government could try and like tax Amazon, right? Or like put a special tax on them or like make changes and restrict them. I'd probably say the problem is that they would just move abroad to somewhere where they can't, where they're offered a tax relief, like Google are in Dublin. So yeah, I don't know if it is. You still and have you have operations in Britain, don't you? And so goods sold in Britain, be that online or not, is in a sense going to be on British soil, as it were. So it's subject to British tax. So I don't think. No, it would be... I mean, they wouldn't provide jobs at all, though, because they'd move. They'd move abroad, though. If you try, I'm not it. going to stop delivering. Have, stop having delivery drivers in Britain. Yeah, but all of their all of their manufacturing jobs would be moved outsourced abroad. What manufacturing jobs? I don't. Amazon, Amazon actually produce their goods. I don't think they do because they're they're other services. Oh, sorry, not manufacturing. Amazon. I meant like I meant like warehouse, like packaging out. It could I think be outsourced. I don't. Okay, can we just try and move away from Amazon? Can we just try and move move away from Amazon as a whole? Because I think we've got a bit caught up on this example. Yeah, but the thing is, is that Amazon is a company that has to have assets in the UK, like warehouses, like delivery drivers. So you can't just you can't move it really it's quite tied into country because as soon as you they could move their headquarters and then their corporation tax would be under a different tax regime i think their headquarters are already they're american-based company because they're taxed by the u.s if you look at how the U, the uk has actually come under fire for the u.s for taxing amazon because they see that online sales should really go to amazon and should be paid as american tax not british tax you create this system where it's very easy for Amazon to start moving, funneling money around and starting to avoid tax. So it's not just the fact that they need to improve the rights of, improve the working rights of contractors, et cetera, who aren't really contractors, let's be honest, but employees. And then on top of that, there is tax avoidance schemes that stop millions of pounds or billions rather coming into the UK to help pay for legislation, et cetera. Well, not pay for legislation, but pay for improvements. And, and I think that's that's where countries like the US and, and, and the UK, maybe there needs to be some digital agreement that defines digital boundaries, as it were, for retail as, as a way to improve this. Sorry, was that a point for me, Griff? No, yeah. Well, yeah, and there probably is some sort of role for the government to intervene more. I just say, like I say, it's just a careful balance. Um, move away from Amazon as a whole. We've talked a lot about that example, but ultimately, if the government does get too involved, you could see these big transnational corporations move abroad. Um, and also, if they, like you, the key thing is that they do a lot of them do provide jobs as well. Like, and if they move abroad, we could see an increase in unemployment in those areas. So, but then, wouldn't other firms join that market? Because if there's if there's a high demand for something like Amazon, which has then left the country, I guess in your in the free market, that 
gap of unemployment would be filled by another firm noticing that uh, gap in the market that Amazon's left. Yeah, there's entirely that option. But uh, the, the reality is in a globalized world, maybe we saw a lot of car manufacturing and stuff move to places like India and the, the Eastern sort of world. And they can't really compete because actually by moving abroad, they lower costs. But I do see your point And you'd hope that if there was that room in the market, it would get filled. But maybe it's just not always the case in reality. I mean, I think that brings up a really interesting point, because if you look at a lot of multi, the multinational companies or, yeah, um, that source, like, things from abroad and products and workers, the workers are then in, like, awful conditions because of how low the regulations are in those countries and mm. um, how poor the people are. And actually, I think that brings up a massive thing of, like... Maybe how people shop in the West and how we're using, we're, we're exploiting people uh, yeah. in other parts of the world. Um, and there's this anecdote which is kind of stupid, but I'm going to bring it up because I always think about it. Have any of you seen The Good Place? Yeah. 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 And there's that whole thing about like uh, this guy buys some tomatoes and the tomatoes are like sourced really badly. And then because he bought this packet of tomatoes he goes to the bad place because of how like interwoven our society is with exploiting people due to this capitalist nature of it and i think we can't really escape it because even like these socialist utopias like sweden and that they outsource all of their manufacturing to like the global south and they're also like exploiting a lot of people even though they claim to be like socialist havens where no one's exploited and I think that kind of just shows how intrinsically linked like the world is with capitalism at this point which I think this is the issue that even though it's flawed like how could we get rid of it yeah I think it's interesting with an ever globalizing world in order to be a truly sort of socialist state there can't be any degree of outsourcing anywhere else that's not a socialist state there can't be uh, really a high degree of imports from those places and you really have to close off your entire economy um, from the rest of the world and you know that can have really terrible impacts um, on on uh, your quality of life because you can't access a lot of products um, or goods and services and you know the the general welfare of your own population. Yeah, and, and, and North Korea would be the perfect example of that. Um, so now we'll move on to the next segment uh, in which we're going to talk a little bit about outsourcing globalization. Uh, and I'd, I'd like to kind of start off this um, segment by asking, can you be a moral or ethical consumer in, in this day and age? with globalization and outsourcing is it possible um well i i have a question for um well anyone but i guess karis would probably most like to answer it i don't mean that in a bad way um i wonder how you would react to what um martin said about the idea that a um sweatshop worker though exploited is benefiting from the capitalist um state of affairs in that the opportunity cost of not working 
and not getting a wage. Um, yes, I Martin Cox from the um, John Locke Institute, um, and yeah, this this idea that um, actually they are they're benefiting from the capitalist state of affairs in that if they weren't being employed by a company like Amazon or whoever it is, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, anyone, um, then they, they wouldn't have a wage, they wouldn't have employment. And even though it's a low wage, a low wage in work is better than no wage without work. I mean, I can see that, but I think the profit margins on these companies is so high that actually it is like it is complete exploitation and also like the working oh my god environment the area is often unsafe and it's I feel as though I can see that point if it were better even just a little bit better I think something definitely needs to change there um and I think that is like one of the biggest downfalls of capitalism. Also, you say, um, a low Sorry. wage is better than no wage, but um, in a lot of these places, because these people are so poor and they can't access legal support, like there was that thing about, uh, I hate to do this, but the Kardashians um, like selling merch that was created by women in Bangladesh last spring that still haven't been paid for it. So these people, they can get away with not paying people. Um, because these people don't have the ability to fight back because they can't unionize or anything. I mean, I guess in that case, um, yeah, obviously, like, that's essentially slavery, right? Um, and I'm not sure that many capitalists would advocate for slavery at all. Um, but, but yeah, in the case that you are getting paid, the idea that, um, you know, a, f a firm is benefiting you, but not as much as you'd like, so you're getting a wage, but not as high a wage as you'd like. And obviously it's, it's very difficult when that wage is so, is so low. Um, um, but even so, I mean, it, 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 where's the line where actually, you know, for example, if I was in work, I might say, well, I'm being exploited by my employer because I'm on however much money. And then you would say, well, I'll stop being greedy where's where's the line i appreciate the people on like very very low levels of income that are being exploited by a transnational corporation they're not being greedy but where where's the line that you would draw between between the those two cases i wonder is it possible to even draw a line well yeah i mean that that's obviously the that's the next question right if if you can't figure out exactly where that line is how, how does your argument what what differs between the two case the two cases which two cases uh between someone on say like a hundred thousand pounds saying well you know i'm being exploited because i think my labor is worth more than that you know i'm i'm happy i'm in this job it's still benefiting me but not as much as i'd like that case versus someone being paid far lower income still benefiting from being employed but not as much as they'd like so they're essentially saying the same thing you know i'm still happy to be employed but i'd want to be employed for more money but one's on very low income and one's on quite high income where's the line between the two where it becomes exploitation and what's the difference between 
the two scenarios and if there is if you can't find a line then is there a line surely I... um, can i just Sorry. jump in here really quickly surely kind of if you look at um i hate, I hate to use utilitarianism for one second there, but you'd have to say that surely it's almost like a law of diminishing returns the more uh, money you have the, the less it means to you uh, a less the less an incremental gain will mean to you so the less money you have the more that that much will mean to you the greater amount of happiness for example it would give you so the line isn't the line isn't really meant to be drawn per se it's more what is the difference between these cases and is there a gray zone where we say this is okay because we can't really draw a line let's we can't say you know people this side of 50,000 are, you know, we can argue for their case and, and we other side, no. I think there's a point at which you say, well, these people are clearly povertous and clearly um, they are living well below the quality of standard that we would expect for a reasonable person. Uh, probably for, especially in Xinjiang, probably um, would be abused in terms of not having human rights, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's a very big difference between the two. And I think you draw, start drawing the line as you're moving people out of poverty um, for, their, for their region and um, context. Yeah, I was just going to agree with you. I think there is a bit of a gray area. Sure, you can't draw like an exact line, but when I mean, the kind of exploitation I was thinking of was people who actually can't meet their base, like the, the income isn't meeting that, basic yeah. needs, yeah. And there isn't enough regulation there at all. And people are taking advantage of people in these really, you know, bad circumstances. Yeah, I agree. And that's a really good answer. Thanks. Um, Karis, I just wanted to pick up something on your original point, which was, um, which I totally agree with you with, which is like we, we do see this exploitation and definitely some of the poorest in those countries are being exploited. But again, I'd say the only actual real answer could be a consumer shift. Like it, I think it should be down to people in the Western world to take it upon themselves to say, no, I'm not going to buy that product from that company. I'm not going to support or endorse that current economic system, that current business plan they have in place. Because it is like, you know what I mean? Because I think that's the only way in which you could like correct that there's no other alternative to me um because it's obvious that the governments in those countries like china it's obvious that like they're probably not going to adopt like a high minimum wage a high welfare state and stuff um so i'd say the only way it could come about would be through a consumer shift in the west which is a is a marketplace for predominantly a lot of products i, f I feel like we've been down that rabbit hole yeah, um, yeah. already i think I, I think the issue is that, as I said before, that that is a huge amount of pressure on consumers. And as Karis has said before as well, you know, a lot of people aren't in that privileged position that they're able to pay more for something that's more ethically um, sourced. And so, you know, in the case of, I don't know, an, another state um, abusing their human rights um, of their workers, would it not perhaps be down to the Western Western states to impose sanctions on those states rather than consumers boycotting? Um, because also, I mean, a lot of consumers will be saying, well, you know, if I don't buy from Amazon, 
nothing's going to change. Yeah, like what difference will it make? What difference will that make? And, you know, without everyone doing it, that really won't make any difference. And, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to encourage everyone to do that when not everyone financially is in that in that position. So I wonder whether it is actually on the on the states to sort that out amongst themselves and to have some form of international law um, that, you know, supersedes any of these. I mean, I'm very, I'm very against sort of the idea of international law um, with regard to countries going to another country, which like a nation should have sovereignty over its own laws, its own land and stuff. So like the idea of a country like the UK going to China or India and saying, uh, you know, pay these reparations, adopt these laws. I just think by nature, that would be very, I just wouldn't agree with that at all. Because like, what's the point in having different nations? And that's basically global governance in part. Um, no, I agree with you. I think it is definitely hard to apply an international law, especially for something that has quite a big grey area. I would say taxing these big multinational corporations more would help. Um, yeah. And maybe not international laws, international guidelines. I mean, there's a lot of international laws, guidelines that are broken all the time. Like look at whaling in Japan and like other things like that. Um, so I think it is hard, but we can't really put it all down to the consumer even though that might help a little bit it's not going to you know change much um i know i know we wanted to move on but i was just going to ask one question of tom if you are against international law to such a high level what do you think about the international um imposition of unequivocal human rights um or, I mean, you know, you don't have to answer, but just as a, as a, a general thought, I mean, it seems to me that an imposition of a humane minimum wage is very much akin to the imposition of human rights. I, I'm a believer in sort of sovereignty of individual nations. I just hate the idea of a, a globalised body saying to an individual nation, you have to adopt these laws, you have to adopt these policies. There is difference between Human Rights Act um, sort of human rights and like a minimum living wage I don't think any country should be forced to adopt any wage whatsoever for its people from a globalized body that should be down to an individual's country an individual country um, there are problems with this though you have like this again it's hard for us because we look at it through like our western lens if that makes sense um, we look at it through like our western lens like we see like like just because we've become used to like democracy being the norm and how we regard it as the best political system it doesn't mean that we have the right for a body to sort of scrutinise countries which don't have democracy in place and so forth. But I, I am pretty much against sort of global governance of, of pretty much lots of different forms. Um, unless this is why I don't have as much of a problem with the EU. I still dislike it and I dislike it. And I'm, I'm happy Britain's left it now. But um, if a country signs up to it, though, that's a different situation. You know what I mean? If a country says, you know, we're going to follow these, that's a different scenario in itself. Yeah, I'm gotta drill down slightly if i may uh yeah. because you said there is a difference between imposing human rights and minimum wage but you haven't really said what the difference is and why that's you know not that means that human rights is not an issue but a minimum wage is and again the a slightly nuanced a slightly different question from the one i've asked before but would you say you, you say that you're really against um, like an international body imposing a law or 
whatever in a different country because it undermines sovereignty is that true of human rights and again what exactly is it that differentiates between human rights and a minimum wage because it seems that both of them are trying to guarantee a minimum living standard a minimum standard that we should treat human beings at and I wonder what exactly is the difference between the two well maybe then sorry maybe I sort of misunderstood your question because maybe there isn't actually as much of the difference then but I'd say that so you asked what would I be against human rights being yeah and if you're against human rights if you're okay with human rights but against a minimum wage why why for one and against the other? If you're, no, if you're against I'm not, both I'm not in favor. I'm not really in favor of human rights, particularly either. Um, okay. I think the Human Rights Act, Human Rights Act, I don't agree with it whatsoever in the UK. Um, but it's just tough because, like, first of all, human rights are like a social construct in themselves. Like, we have created the idea of human rights within the West and within Western institutions. And to go to countries and just say, you have to install these beliefs, these rights, it's just completely against, like, what sovereignty is all about and like the principle of sovereignty um yeah would you would you say that sovereignty of nations supersedes sovereignty of individuals in that the human rights are giving individuals sovereignty and rights and um you know protecting individuals would you say that the it's more important that the state is in control of what's happening would you say that's more important than the rights and life of the people in their state. You talk about like the state and the people in the state, like they're two separate entities though. Like there's definitely like interlinkage there. Like surely if in most states, the state is made up, it's funded by people. It's funded by people. The people like, I, I understand not every state's like a democracy and so forth, but it's not like the state, the state and the people in the state are separate entities. Like to, the people of the state should have sovereignty to do what they want and they should have the ability to make the laws in which they want over the governance of those people. I feel like the part where it gets sticky for me, this whole human rights issue is when you come into like dictatorships and so forth, because in our opinion, sort of from a Western perspective, we just say they're like, they're wrong by nature because we've been brought up to like support democracy and so forth. But do we really have like the power and is it morally right? We go for, we go over and like disrupt the political system in itself. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't want to sort of take over the whole thing because, like, we're, we were starting on uh, capitalism. Yeah, yeah, we've come that far. So um, I'm going to leave it there. I mean, it's an interesting conversation, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> All right, Tom, are there, like, specific human rights that you disagree with, or is it just, like, the convention Oh. No, um, it's it's the convention of it. I'm very much pro sort of lots of human rights, and it's my personal belief. But we we, we, we sorry, were you were you speaking with regard to the Human Rights Act particularly, or just human rights as a whole? The Human Rights Act. Given both, no, you just have so to... in the UK, I feel like the Human Rights Act, obviously adopted in 1997, maybe 98. I'm not sure on that. Um, I'm sort of against it just for a few reasons. Um, first of all, I feel like most of the rights were sort of enshrined already into statute law and so forth um but moreover i just feel like some of the rights like the rights to family and so forth it can just be easily like manipulated by people who i wouldn't like want who i wouldn't support and it's sort of in, who i wouldn't support that right to be given to for like many terrorists for example they they get the right to remain in the uk 
due to the fact they claim under the Human Rights Act, I have the right to a family um, and therefore they avoid like deportation. I just feel like the Human Rights Act, sort of, yes, it's, it's based on good like beliefs. It was probably made in the right way, but I think it fails to do its job in, in many ways. Do you think that like individual countries should be like create and enforce their own version of the Human Rights Act? And like historically, do you think that's worked in like non-Western countries? Um, so I would definitely call for own. I can't. Yeah, I definitely call for an individual country to make their individual rights for their people. Um, I feel like every country has different sort of cultures, different histories. And you are right, it hasn't worked historically. But like, is that because the West, we've gone abroad and we've like colonized, we've got involved with other people's businesses, which is wrong. Like at a certain point, why can't the West just leave other nations to do what they want and just leave them alone? Before like imperialism even started, they were, they were not following the human rights like at all. There were no human rights before. Human rights are a social construct which created in the West. Yeah, I, I think what Tom's trying to say is that it's it's very difficult to human rights in themselves are very difficult to derive um, organically, so they have to kind of be just enshrined and accepted. Uh, but you know, I, I think ultimately you can't, Tom. I don't think you can't. You can really define the West and the action of states as that um, monolithic. I think that actually, in terms of the influence of the West, it's much more pervasive. It, 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 it is um, one that arises through culture and transnationals. And Well, can and I ask you a question, Chris? So we've heard a lot about sort of Muslims kept in camps in China and so forth currently, and it's very sad. I hate seeing the photos and so forth. So how would you call for that issue to be addressed? Would you call for something like the UN to get involved or not? Well, the problem with uh, the UN <laughs> is that it, it's, it's so big and, and China has such an influence in it that it becomes very, very difficult to, um, it, it becomes very difficult to do anything specific like target um, camps in China because UNHCR or, or um, F, UNHCR or any agency that attempts to go in there like the WHO found out with Wuhan just gets blocked because it is, you know, as you said, for someone who disagrees as much as with the action of the UN, uh, uh, over sovereignty of countries, countries can easily exercise that sovereignty, right? So, uh, and obviously re reject inspectors. I think what is problematic and what's difficult about globalization and, and the world at the moment is that everything is so interlinked that we can't really treat the world as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, like you had two blocks, USSR and US, which weren't interlinked at all, but were just separate monoliths. But in this, in, if we're looking at this genocide specifically, the US has their hands tied because, well, it's almost their hands tied by themselves because they're so interlinked with China. In the same way that the UK, although it has, I think, in, in my opinion, a great deal of... <laughs> It has less trade with uh, China than the US, um, but I do think it's able to place sanctions on it. The US can't. It can call it a genocide, and they have, but I don't think it's... I think the way that the, UA, the UK is dealing with it is probably the most sensible option. If you take the nuclear option and go into trade with China, I think, ultimately, you lead yourself into a Trumpian stalemate, and that's not 
beneficial for anyone as the world found out through those four years.